We have seen in the book of Exodus the people of Israel now have been brought out of Egyptian slavery. It is their grand victory as they have been set free by the mighty hand of God. The ten plagues being wielded against the Egyptians so that the people have been set free. And then yet again a grand display of God's mighty hand as we see the Israelites backed up against the sea, the Egyptians in pursuit. God has Moses raise the staff over the waters and the waters part. Israel walks through on dry ground to the other side, and then the Egyptians in pursuit behind. The waters then crash down upon them and drowning them in the sea. And in Exodus 15 was the song of Moses, the song of victory, the song of deliverance. And we would want to think now the rest of the book of Exodus would be happy days and joy and the people worshiping and serving God, you know, happily ever after. But unfortunately, things uh, quickly go sideways as uh, the people now are on the other side. You'll notice in Exodus chapter 15 and in verse 22, the, the statement tells us there, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur and went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Please underline something very important in that verse because it is so easy to read these people in history and give them a really hard time when you read about what they do. Notice that verse 22 says, they're in the desert and they've been in the desert for three days. And in those three days that they're in the desert, there's no water. So how many of you are going to be calm? (laughs) Not me. (laughs) Three days in the desert without water. We are at about the maximum capacity of what a human can do when you're talking about in the desert, in the heat, walking, uh, exercising, exerting oneself under those kinds of conditions for three straight days. We are now kind of hitting the limit. And that's what you see happening in verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. And therefore it was named Marah. I want you to imagine that three days you've been walking in the desert. You are thirsty. And there you see some water finally. You can just imagine the relief that went over the people. Oh, finally, there's some water. Let's go to the water. And they get there and they find... You can't drink this water. It is water that is not drinkable. Perhaps it's brackish or whatever it is. That it is not water they can drink. And so all those hopes are dashed. As you could just were imagining, I cannot wait to be drinking that water. I'd just be jumping in cannonball. We are going to drink some water finally. Three days in the desert. Now I'm going to get some water. And they get there and only to be disappointed that they can't drink that water either. Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, well, what shall we drink? Uh, what are we going to do? And we come here and the bad news, we can't drink the water. What are we going to do? The disappointment and the heartbreak when thinking that thirst was going to finally be quenched. So verse 24, grumbling against Moses, what shall we drink? And they cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. 
And there He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. And then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. I want you to notice what God has done in this moment as this scene now unfolds for the people of Israel. Here you'll notice that three days in the desert and they have nothing to drink. And just when it seems like there is not going to be any hope whatsoever, we they see water and go, oh, it's going to be okay. And then you go, oh, it's not going to be okay. The water is not going to be drinkable. We can't have it. And so finally now they grumble to God. They grumble to Moses. What are we going to drink? I want you to see what what God is doing here is is bringing them to a circumstance of despair so that they have to cry out to God. And you notice that that's exactly what God says He did there. Because notice at the end of verse 25 it says, And there He tested them. God has put this in place so that they would come to this moment and see what are the people going to do. That God tested the people to see what will be their response in the time of difficulty. How will they respond when they get to the very edge? And friends, that's, I think, getting to the very edge. Three days, no water, walking in the desert. I'm all in. I'm on the edge. I'm, I'm okay. We're in trouble here, Moses. We better do something fast. And notice that it says that God tested them. And yet not only is God testing them, but what He's going to do is then in the process rescue them. And that is the purpose that God brings these people at this moment. To test them to see what their response will be. Will you trust God in the time of difficulty or not? In fact, over in Deuteronomy, you have Moses reflecting upon the 40 years that they spend in the wilderness. And listen to the reflection that Moses has about that. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. Moses looks back at the whole time of the wilderness. And by the way, this is day three of the 40 years that are about to unfold for them. We're on day three. Day three of this. And Moses looks back at it and says, you know why God brought you to the point of testing and all those things happened? To humble you, and I'd say this morning's lesson, plug into that, humble you, and to see if you would obey God or not. To bring you to this point of crisis, to bring you into this circumstance of difficulty to see, will you obey the Lord your God or not? And what God is doing is using this as a teaching moment for these people. And notice that's how it's presented is verse 25, throwing this wood into the water and the water becomes sweet. And the Lord made them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, what's the rule? If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, 
then the plagues that hit Egypt will not come upon you. But notice even more so, for I am the Lord, your healer. The whole principle that God wants them to see right here from the beginning. Just listen to me and I will take care of you. Just listen to my voice, obey my words, do as I say. And God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm your healer. I'm the one who delivered you. I'm the one who rescued you. It's almost as if this is an answer to the first crisis. When the people are backed up into the sea and the Egyptians are pursuing, remember what they say, are there not graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die. And notice God's answer is, no, I'm your healer. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm not here to afflict you. I'm not here to ruin you. I'm not here to bury you and make you miserable. I'm your healer. Obey my voice. Listen to what I have to say. And I'm going to take care of you. And so what a grand teaching moment happens right here. To come to this water, to be at the end of your rope, three days in the desert, longing for something to drink, and a miracle happens. God rescues His people. They cry out and God responds. And now for the rest of Israel's history, they're going to remember this and never again question God, right? Chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they've departed from the land of Egypt. So just time marker now. We're 30 days in. We're one month into the trek, okay? So last paragraph, we were on day three. Now we're on day 30, day 31 at this point of of the trek. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) We, We wish we had died back there in Egypt. God should have just killed us in Egypt. This is horrible. We, you have brought us out here to die. And I want you to consider what's happening here is the last circumstance, three days in the desert without water, you're at your maximum. Now we're 30 days out of Egypt without eating and you're at your maximum again. We're being put to the test again here. 30 days, we haven't had anything to eat, we should have been dying. It's not like they ate yesterday. They're like, we wish we had died in Egypt. You have to plug in. We haven't been having anything. Time for God to do something. And notice that they are complaining and notice they are grumbling. But did you notice what they do and what they say? Verse 4. Or verse 3. What that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots... And ate bread to the full. Boy, we had it good in Egypt. You know, we were just sitting around and we were eating bread and we were eating meat. It was all right. We shouldn't have come out here. It was good back there. Isn't it interesting how we have the tendency to do that about the past? (laughs) 
it's interesting the way the human mind works that does not recall how bad it actually was at the time, but selectively remembers how good things were back then. It is a strange thing that we have the ability to blot out a lot of the difficulty that was going on. And we look back longingly in the past and go, oh, it was so good back then and it's so horrible now. Never mind the fact that these people were enslaved in Egypt. They were oppressed horribly. They were oppressed so badly, remember the quota was set that they couldn't even make enough bricks according to the order of Pharaoh. And of that slavery and oppression and the beatings that were happening were not enough. Please do not forget the severe treatment that was happening that the edict of Pharaoh had gone out. That any of the boys born to the Hebrews were to be thrown into the Nile. But oh, how it was so much better in Egypt. How we had our bellies to the full. How good things were. And how often we do that where we just simply remember the good old days. What's God's response going to be now? You know, you see the location of where this account happens. I would just want to be like, don't you remember 27 days ago what happened when you thought you were going to die of thirst and now you come to me complaining like this? Actually, look at God's response in verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as what they gather daily. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. I want you to see what a gracious and amazing response God has there. The people are going... We should have stayed in Egypt. In fact, it would have been better if God had killed us in Egypt rather than to bring us out here into the desert. And God's response is, you know what's going to happen? Every morning you're going to get up and there's going to be bread on the ground. And it's going to be rough. You're going to have to walk out there and pick it up and put it back in your tent. And if that were not enough, every evening you're going to walk out of your tent and there's going to be meat on the ground. And you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to walk out of your tent and go pick it up. But I want you to notice what God said in that when he, when he made this declaration in verse 4. Did you notice what he says? He says there in verse 4, I want them to go out every day and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Same thing you said at the last instant. Now he does it again. You're only to go pick out a day's portion. This is the rule given to them. Only enough for one day. 
Because what's going to happen is, if you take more than one day's worth, it's going to have rot and worms and it's all going to go bad on the next day. So Moses tells the people, take one day's worth. On the sixth day, you can take a double portion because the seventh day is a Sabbath and that is a day of worship and rest to God. So double portion on the sixth day. It will not rot on the seventh day. and Therefore, you will have enough for the sixth day and for the seventh day. That's what God decrees in chapter 16. Interesting what he gives them. And interesting the way Moses handles this. Notice Moses' response, and then we'll notice what the people do in regards to that. Moses responds twice over, he says. He says it in verse 7, and he also says it in verse 8. You're not grumbling against us. Your complaint is against God. Moses says, who are we? You're coming to us and saying, we need something to eat. And Moses goes, yeah, (laughs) that's not a me problem. Your complaints with God. Do you understand who you're grumbling against? Do you understand what you're complaining about? And so this is the message that here we have God being trying to give to the people, get them to understand and recognize when you complain You're not complaining just to another person or about another person. Your complaint is directed to God. And that's what Moses says twice to them. We're just people. Your circumstances that you're upset about is a complaint against God himself. There's quite a warning that is given there. And then Moses here goes a little bit further and God goes a little bit further in speaking about the provision of God. Every day you're going to have this. Now, what do you think that people do? God says, every day I'm going to have food out there on the ground for you. So you only need to get today's food. And don't get more than a day's food because it's all going to be raw and go bad if you take more. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, it says, But they did not listen to Moses. And some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Some of the people try to gather more than enough, try to save it till the next day. And it does exactly as God says. And it decays and goes bad. Why did the people do that? God said, every morning, be bread on the ground. And every evening, there's going to be meat on the ground. Why did the people then go and gather more so that it would be saved till the next day? Because they didn't believe in God. They didn't believe, did they? They didn't believe that when they woke up the next day, there would be fresh food on the ground again. They didn't believe that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. They didn't believe that God was going to provide. They didn't believe that God was going to take care of them in that moment. They didn't believe that God would come through. And so what they need to do is they need to gather more and try to save it for the next day. Even though God expressly said, do not do that. It's not going to work out for you. Do not try to take extra. Do not try to make it hold over to the next time. But instead they do not listen to God because they do not believe. They do not believe 
that God will give you what you need today. It is interesting how the New Testament alludes to this scene over and over and over again to teach Christians about a reliance on God. Think about one of the obvious ones that we know very well when Jesus models his prayer. What's he say? Give us our daily bread. That is a direct echo off of this text. Give us what we need today. You will provide for us today that we believe that God will provide for us today and that we don't have to worry about tomorrow because God's going to take care of that. In fact, is that not where the Sermon on the Mount goes? Chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then a few verses later, don't be anxious, say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is a direct allusion to this very scene. Do you believe that God is going to care for you or not? Do you really believe that God is going to take care of you or not? The reason why these people go out there and they gather more and gather more is because they don't believe that God will take care of tomorrow. And so they're going crazy today because they don't believe God's got tomorrow. In fact, that even keeps going a a, a little bit more. I want you to notice then even over in a text that we've been doing uh, this whole time in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and uh, verse 18, uh, chapter 8 verse 12. Notice what we saw in 2 Corinthians a few uh, lessons ago. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12. If If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Guess where that quotation comes from? Right here in Exodus 16. Moses, excuse me, Paul uses this principle that Moses had been giving them. Paul says, this is why you have what you have, is that you have enough for now. And whatever abundance you have is to be able to help others and to be able to do good by them. And then he quotes this text and says, you had enough to take care of today. Whoever had gathered much had nothing left other. Whoever had gathered little had no lack. You had what you needed for the day. That's what Moses is angry at them about. Is you didn't believe that God was going to take care of tomorrow. And then the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We saw that same principle in that text. God's taking care of you. You're supposed to use those things in service of the kingdom of God. It is interesting that the principle that is laid out here in chapter 16 of Exodus is echoed all throughout the New Testament that you are to trust God to give you what you need. 
to believe that God is going to take care of you. That God will give you what you need. And that's why we don't lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. And that's why we recognize that we don't put our hope in riches. And it's not about all, I have to spaz out about today, but a belief that God has got tomorrow in hand. And so I'm not anxious about what I wear or what I'll eat or what I'll drink or any of those kinds of things because God says, I've got that. Interestingly, God wants to make a memorial to them to remind them that God provides for his people. He tells them that they're supposed to take some of this bread and they're to keep it and put it in a jar, an omer of manna. Put that in the jar, place it before the Lord. We haven't built the Ark of the Covenant yet. When that gets completed in this book, that jar of manna goes in the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder, God takes care of you today. And you don't have to worry about tomorrow because God's taking care of you today. And that was to be with them everywhere they went. That was in that ark. It was before the presence of God is that God provides today. And so think about what God has done up to this point. They have their backs against the sea and the Egyptians are pursuing down and they cry out, we're all going to die. We're not going to make it. And God, miracle, boom, Red Sea parts that walk through, they're delivered. Three days later, they're literally dying of thirst. And they say, where are we going to do? We have nothing to drink. God tells Moses, put that wood into the water. Make that bitter water sweet. And they drink. And then 27 more days later, we have nothing to eat. It would have been better if we had died in Egypt. We have nothing to eat. Oh, we had meat and we had bread. And it was all so good back there. It was so great in the past. Those good old days of Egypt. And God goes, here's what I'll do for you. I'll give you bread in the morning and I'll give you meat at night. And so now surely his people have learned to trust God and not complain, right? Chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Don't you hope verse 2 says, somebody stood up and said, but we remember back a month ago when we didn't have any water to drink. And you know what happened is that God told Moses, throw some wood into the into the lake, into the water there, and it made it. We were all just fine. Verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Well, they've clearly learned. Here you have the people go, you brought us out here to die. And I want you to notice that whole scene unfolding. They're grumbling against Moses again. They're saying the exact same things again. You brought us out here to die. Nobody cares about you. You're not going to provide for us. Nobody's going to take care of the provisions that we need. What do you think God's going to response be this time? 
I, I'm just like waiting for the heavens to open and fire to fly, you know? <laughs> it's just like, how many times? Notice the graciousness of God, verse 5. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? I want you to be stunned by God's gracious response. Now, according to the historical record, four times. Backed against the sea, the water that is bitter that now is made sweet, the lack of food in the wilderness that God gives them manna and and meat. And now here where they say we have no water to drink, we're in the middle of this desert and there's not even some water to throw a log in. What are we going to do? And God says, hey, Moses, just go hit that rock and water will come out. That's crazy in a desert. Just strike that rock and here comes the water for all these hundreds of thousands of people to be able to drink from. God's water fountain in the middle of the desert. And I want you to notice the words there of verse 7 again. Because here's the issue. He calls this name Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people. And notice what it says. They tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Friends, this is the problem with grumbling and complaining. Is we are testing God. And what's worse about it is, it's yes, it's called that we are testing God, but what we are doing is inevitably questioning whether God is really with us or not. That's what it all boils down to. These three scenes, three scenes of complaining are listed back to back to back. And at the end of the accounts of the grumbling, here's the big statement. They tested God. And what they said, is the Lord among us or not? Is God really with us? Because if He's really with us, then why are things going the way they're going? Why is my life like this? Why are we going through such difficulty? Why isn't there water to drink? Why do we have to wait for food? Why are we walking in the wilderness? Why do we have to do all this? And what I want you to see ultimately what this is, is this is a way they're judging God. I hope we'll see that complaining and grumbling is a way that we judge God. Because what we are saying to God is, I don't know if you're worthy of me following you. I don't know if you're worthy of my devotion and my worship and my service and my obedience. I don't know if you're really with us or not. It doesn't really look like it. I don't see any water. So I don't know if you're with us or not. We're judging God. God, you do what I want you to do so that I'll obey you. 
you meet my conditions. You know, I want my bread in the morning and my meat at night, and I want my water out of the water fountain, and I want no trouble. <laughs> I just want it to be the way I want it to be. I want to be comfortable and at ease. And if God, you won't do that, I'm going to complain. Good thing those problems died in the wilderness, right? Not existing today, huh? I'd like for us just to take a moment of reflection and to consider how have we put the Lord to the test in the exact same way? That we take inventory of life and say, is the Lord among us or not? Lord, if you're really in my life, then why are things going the way they're going? You see that contrast to Paul that we looked at this morning, 2 Corinthians 12? And I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, insults, persecution, suffering. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He doesn't say, I don't know if God's with me or not. You know what? I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned and left for dead. I've been beaten with rods. I've suffered loss. I've suffered catastrophe. It's been a disaster in my life. Is the Lord with me or not? It's not the response. And how easy it is for us to have that response when things don't go according to plan. And I want you to hear what God is saying. What God is saying is when we grumble about our condition of life, when we complain about our circumstances, when we indicate a lack in trust in God to care for us, because of all of our difficulties and all of our loss and hurt and pain and suffering, we're putting the Lord to the test. In fact, that's what the psalmist says. Psalmist, the psalmist relates to this very scene. Psalm 95, verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Notice it's a call to worship. We need to obey. We need to worship. We need to serve. Come, let us worship and bow down. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. That's the second water scene. As on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I want you to notice another description of what's happening when we complain and grumble. Did you see it? Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah and Massa. You know what complaining and grumbling does? It's the hardening of the heart against God. That's the point the psalmist is making. It shows when we grumble and we complain about our circumstances. And we say, this isn't right. This isn't good. This isn't fair. I don't like this. Not only are we judging God, 
Not only are we putting him to the test, not only are we saying to him, you need to respond on my terms because I don't know if there is God with us or not. As chapter 17, verse 7, it says, is the Lord among us or not? But push it even further is that this is the process of a hardening of a heart against God. And that's why the psalmist says, don't harden your hearts like they did. Because they didn't enter into the rest because of that. Our lack of faith is how we put God to the test. Our lack of belief in Him to care for us is a process of the hardening of the heart. And I would just like for us to consider this idea for a moment tonight. If complaining and grumbling is our natural default, we need to be very concerned. If grumbling and complaining is the natural default, we need to be very concerned. Because Moses says, you know you're complaining against God. You know you're putting Him to the test. And you recognize your heart is being hardened, right? So God says you are grumbling against Him. And remember, He's over all things. And may I remind us how toxic grumbling is. Toxic to your own soul and contagiously toxic to those around you. So easy when one person complains to go, oh, I've got something to complain about too. Let's all have a complain party together and we'll just complain about everything together, right? I mean, it's just easy to do. Big warning. Do not put the Lord to the test. Do not allow your heart to be hardened by grumbling. Do not challenge God. And suggest that we know what's best. And what God is doing is wrong. And how dare you not provide in the way that I think you ought to provide. Because ultimately, what we are saying to God is the very end of verse 7. I just hope that will resonate in your mind and in your heart this week. Is the Lord among us or not? Do you believe He is? They didn't. That's why they gathered too much. And it went to rot the next day. They didn't believe that God was with them for the next day. That God would be with them tomorrow. That God would be with them next week. That God would be with them for what turned out to be a 40 year journey to get to the promised land. They didn't believe that. Do we? And now I want to do all of these things about Christ and the new covenant that's in here. And it's 730. Next Sunday, I knew I'd stop here, don't worry. (laughs) Next Sunday night, right back to this text. This text is used extensively in the New Testament to picture Christ, the covenant, the sacrifices that we have in Him. And we need 40 more minutes to do that. So we'll put a pin in it right here and ask the question, is the Lord among you and with you or not? We're going to sing a song and we invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to recognize that God is with you. Do not put Him to the test. Do not ignore His blessings. Do not fail to see all the good that He has done for you. Please do not complain against God, but recognize that God has cared for you and brought you to this point. So often we look at our lives and we do go through suffering and we go through pain and distress and it causes us to think that God is not with us. To bring in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 95 
God says there that their fathers put him to the test and put him to the proof, though they had seen his work. You've seen his work. You've seen his work in your life. And you have seen his ultimate work in the cross. You know he cares for you. And you know he will provide for you. He did not bring you to this point here in August 20th, 2017, to just have you die in the wilderness tomorrow. His goal is to bring you home. Do you believe in him or not? I hope you'll give your life to Jesus this very day to turn away from your sins. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would do that this very day before it's too late. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sit?